It's wonderful to be back with you again here on the Sermon Audio Prayer Meeting. My name is Paul Scharf. I'm privileged to serve as a church ministries representative with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And I have a page here on sermonaudio.com. Sermonaudio.com slash P Scharf. That's P S C H A R F. It's always a delight to be here with you in this hour to share God's word and uh, even to participate as I'm able when I'm not the speaker. It's a wonderful blessing and joy. And I'd like to turn your attention this morning back to the book of Daniel as we've been going on a series here from time to time. It's been quite a while, uh, even when I was with you since we were in Daniel, but I thought we uh, would do well to continue along that line of thought today and really think about the next prayer section, at least the next famous one in the book of Daniel, and that's in Daniel chapter 6. We had spent some time actually two sessions in chapter three, where Daniel's friends were praying uh, in their time of persecution. And uh, Daniel six sort of mirrors chapter three in the outline of the book of Daniel as the next phase of persecution in the book, where Daniel is, of course, famously thrown in the lion's den. This is uh, after Medo-Persia has overtaken Babylon in 539 BC. That, of course, is told in chapter 5. And Daniel ends chapter 5 as the third ruler in the kingdom of Babylon under um, Belshazzar, who had promoted him. Uh, Belshazzar reigning under his father, uh, Nabonidus, who is the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. And Belshazzar promotes, you remember, Daniel because he could interpret the message of the handwriting on the wall in chapter 5. You would think that immediately upon coming to power, Cyrus and the Medo-Persian authorities, Darius, would kill Daniel along with all the other rulers of Babylon, and, and they probably did execute all the others. There's a Jewish tradition or legend that says the reason, humanly speaking, that Daniel survived into the new Medo-Persian Empire, where we're going to see he's there also, really the third ruler in the Medo-Persian Empire under Cyrus and Darius, over all the other governors and satraps. And the, the legend is that the reason that Daniel survived and that he was favored by Cyrus is that he somehow had the opportunity and took Cyrus to Isaiah chapters 44 and 45 and showed him the prophecies of Cyrus coming in and conquering Babylon. Now, whether that actually happened and in that specific way, uh, that is uh, a matter of uh, tradition that we'll never know in this side of eternity. But uh, the wonderful thing is that Daniel did survive. God is going to use him in a second world empire, in the Medo-Persian Empire. Think of it. Daniel is in power in Babylon and Medo-Persia for seven decades under seven rulers. Uh, sort of a living illustration of the fact that the world and all of its lusts are passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And Daniel here 
probably now in his 80s, as we come to chapter 6, we often see the picture of Daniel in the lion's den, you remember, and he's a young boy or a teenager. Well, Daniel is the book for young men and for teenagers and for everyone, because by the time we get to chapter 6, friends, he's no teenager. He's in probably his ninth decade of life. And in chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, or the first, here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 2, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel, notice, one of these great motivating verses in the book of Daniel. He distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. I want to be like Daniel, like chapter 5 and verse 12 and 14 talk about. He had an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas. He had excellent wisdom. He had a spirit of excellence that he wanted everything he did to be done with excellence for the glory of God. And they discovered this spirit, even in the secular world, in the wicked government of Medo-Persia. He rose above, he far outshined everyone else. An excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Well, of course, this would provoke much jealousy and envy and strife among others who would wonder why this uh, Jewish captive left over from Babylon would be placed over the whole realm of the Medo-Persian kingdom. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. That's, that is absolutely astounding, isn't it? That could be our whole message this morning. But to go forward, verse 5, these men said, we, we, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All Now here they told a lie, didn't they? They said, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, that was a lie because these men had not, for sure, consulted the main man they could have, and that, of course, is Daniel. By the way, shame on them for having the wisest man of his day, this man of excellent wisdom, and they didn't consult with him. They, they could have consulted with him and solved their whole problem, but instead they told a lie. We've consulted with everyone and devised a scheme that was, of course, the purpose of which was to entrap Daniel because of their envy of this man. Now, King Cyrus, uh, we know, and is in the process here at this point of 
sending the people of Judah back. And that's, again, the reference in Isaiah 44 and 45, the first wave of return from the captivity under Zerubbabel, 50,000 return in 538 BC. That's that's uh, uh, perhaps even underway at this time in chapter 6. Uh, Darius is uh, a man who is kind to the uh, people that Babylon had subjugated during the, in the king, in empire of Babylon. Uh, so he showed that kindness to the people of Judah, uh, that, um, uh, you know, gracious uh, approach to trying to gain, uh, you know, to, to, to f- gain favor with the peoples that Babylon had overtaken. He showed that to a number of, of people groups that Babylon had taken captive. Uh, and there's a lot we could say about Medo-Persian, about Cyrus and Darius. But I think what the, the temptation they're offering him, it's not so much probably religious as it is political, uh, at least in his mind. They, they, he sees this as a way uh, of gaining more favor or consolidating his rule, having overtaken uh, the kingdom from Babylon, Cyrus and Medo-Persia here. He, he, he thinks, oh, this would be a, a great tactic to unify all the different peoples that are now part of our empire as we've conquered here from Babylon. Everyone who prays should pray through, through Cyrus for 30 days. So I think for him, it's probably more political than religious or thinking in terms of religious persecution. Uh, he hadn't stopped to consider how this would impact Daniel. Uh, or as we see from the rest of the chapter, if he had or if he'd known, he wouldn't have enacted it because he was very sorry when he found out what the consequences of this law of the Medes and the Persians, which you remember cannot be changed, cannot be altered. So they convinced him to, verse 8, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. I'd like to talk with you this morning then about praying when it's prohibited. You all know the rest of the story. Daniel knew that the writing was signed and he went home. Now you or I might have gone home that day and thought, well, it would be a nice day to pray with the windows closed. Be a nice day to go down and pray down in the basement today. It would be a nice day to just uh, lie on my bed and pray quietly and silently to the Lord God. But of course, that wasn't Daniel. Some have speculated that Daniel had perhaps built a little prayer studio on the roof of his house. And of course, it faced Jerusalem and the temple. Because you can take the boy out of Jerusalem at perhaps even 14 years of age when the book begins. But you can't take Jerusalem out of the boy. You can take the boy away from the temple. But you can't take the temple out of the boy. In Daniel 9.21, and this is a totally different context we won't go into this morning, except to note the time that Daniel was in prayer and he received a visit from the angel Gabriel and he tells us that it was about the time of the evening offering. 
There hadn't been an evening offering in Jerusalem, friends, for nearly 50 years since the destruction of the temple in 586. But in Daniel's mind, on his body clock, it's as if it's still all ongoing. If you ask Daniel, what time zone was he in? He lived his life on temple standard time, temple time. His day revolved around the temple schedule of a temple that hadn't existed in decades. But it still existed in his heart and mind. And so he went to that upper room where he prayed. And he opened the windows toward Jerusalem. Toward Jerusalem. This is not how we need to pray today, but when the temple was dedicated in 2 Chronicles 6, and there are other passages like Psalm 5, verse 7, that talk about praying toward Jerusalem, praying toward the temple, toward that central location of worship for the kingdom of Israel. And Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem and toward the temple. And he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You say, why did Daniel pray three times a day? Well, perhaps he picked up on David's method of prayer, Psalm 55, 16, and 17. In the morning and at noon and in the evening, he would pray. Praying when it's prohibited. These men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. I don't know if we have anyone joining us today who's living in an area where praying is prohibited. Uh, it may come to that in, uh, in coming days in ways that uh, will absolutely astound us. In fact, we've seen some evidence already, even in our Western world, uh, in recent days of things akin to that, haven't we? What do we do when it's prohibited to pray? Well, we pray just as hopefully it's been our custom since our early days. We give thanks to God. We continue to pray and make supplication to the Lord God. And one thing we learn from the book of Daniel, when we give God his place in our priorities that he deserves, and when we honor him in our choices, even at crucial, difficult moments, even in times of stress, yes, persecution, like we saw in chapter 3, when we honor God, then we know it really places the, uh, it really gives the place of responsibility back to him where, who rightly owns it. And he takes that responsibility and he cares for his children. I'm not saying he will deliver every person, certainly miraculously in every situation, but he bears that responsibility. He takes it. And often when we honor him, then he will honor us. If we take our own responsibility, devise our own plan, uh, then, then it's on us. 
And uh, the outcome of that kind of thing we know is often not very pleasing. But when we give our burden to God, even in times of persecution, if it comes, even when prayer is prohibited, if we give him his rightful due, if we honor him, then we shouldn't be surprised if he honors us. And we'll see that when we read the rest of the chapter. I commend that to you. I'm sure most everyone here knows the story, but I invite you to read it, consider it, meditate on it, search the scriptures, and see if these things are so. It's always a great joy and privilege uh, to be your speaker here, and I'd love to connect with any of you who may have uh, any interests or anything I can do to be of help or service to you as we continue on here on SermonAudio.com. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. May the Lord use his word to bring glory to himself and to work faith in each of our hearts.